Welcome to Damn Fine Commentary, the internet's only Twin Peaks podcast with a real-life Dave and Lynch. In this series, we'll be reviewing and chatting about each of the 18 parts of Twin Peaks Season 3. So as they say in the Black Lodge... Well, here we are again. I'm Phil Willis. I'm Nev Prasad. And I used to be Steve Lynch and now I'm a teapot. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll be joined soon by Dave Bluestein with one of his uh, incredible summary wrap-ups. Um, so actually, you know what? Why don't we just throw straight to it? This is an episode chock full of details, so I'll let Dave do the explaining. Take it away, Dave. Thanks to the power of Dr. Amp's golden shit shovel, Nadine Hurley frees Big Ed from their marriage so he can go bump wrinklies with Norma. Norma ditches the double R franchise, sticking with her old diner, and they kiss. They don't even, like, get murdered or anything. Mr. C reaches the convenience store and is led upstairs by a woodsman to the Dutchman's, which is a motel. A woman unlocks a room, and inside is Philip Jeffries, who's now a steam-spouting teapot machine, because David Bowie can play anything. Jeffries tells Cooper he didn't contact him at the hotel and he didn't send Ray. He also tells him that he's already met Judy and spits out some numbers that Mr. C writes down. Answering his phone, Mr. C is teleported back outside. Richard Horn is there armed, and he knows he's an FBI agent from a photo Audrey had. Mr. C disarms him and tells him to get in the truck. Then he texts Las Vegas to, we assume, Diane, and they drive off. Steve Burnett and Gersten Hayward are in the forest, off their faces on penguins or sparkle, whatever the kids today are doing. They're busted by Twin Peaks journalist Cyril Pons and hide, and hide behind a tree. Gersten legs it as Stephen shoots himself, maybe. Pons runs back to the fat truck trailer park and tells Carl what happened. At the roadhouse, the MC chucks ZZ Top on the CD player, and James and his English chum Freddy approach Renee. Renee's husband tells James that his behaviour has never been cool, which becomes a fight, and Freddy, with his super glove, punches Renee's husband's face off. They get locked up at the station next to Nato and Chad. Chad. Over at the Las Vegas FBI, the shouty director is given a Doug and Jane Jones, but they're the wrong Dougie and Janie Jones, so he gets shouty again. Chantal kills Todd and Roger, then murders a box of Cheetos. Dougie is eating cake while watching TV. On Sunset Boulevard, he hears the name Gordon Cole, so decides to stick a fork in a wall socket, which is a bit harsh. Margaret calls Hawk to tell him she's dying, which isn't exactly news. The cookhouse boys get together in the conference room to mourn her. Audrey and Charlie are about to leave for the roadhouse, and they don't. He threatens to end her story, that of the little girl who lives down the lane, which is a whole lot of what the fuck. And then at the roadhouse, two men kick a woman out of her booth while the band plays. She crawls on the floor and screams. There we go. We're all caught up. Man, there's a lot going on here. Oh, my God. We've seen the... Well, starting with the culmination of a romance that we've seen on again, off again, on again, off again, thwarted at every turn, this and finally... Even last episode or two episodes ago, it was like we were all just brokenhearted because we oh, no. confirmation that's never going to happen. And yeah. seriously, Ed, Big Ed just bucked every country and western song ever written and he <laughs> finally hooked up with his lady love. Yeah. Very, very few times do you actually cry from, from joy in Twin Peaks, and this is this was it. I was yeah. just bawling with yeah. happiness. And the way that it was done with Nadine playing a part oh, as well, like, yeah. it was done with every everyone got a happy ending. She got her shovel. <laughs> she had her moment with Jacoby a couple of parts ago, yeah. which clearly is what illuminated her. That's yeah. right, and if you love something, set it free. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I love now it when she's free to go back to to Mike. Stay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> back, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's just like hiding under the table. <laughs> um, no, Mike was into it. Mike was that. Mike was, yeah, Mike Mike was the one who got hurt. Yeah, because he, yeah. he whispered. Remember, he whispered something to Bobby. Says so you wouldn't believe what she can do. She can do it. And, and Bobby says, "No, it's not even possible." <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah. But I mean, look, there was this lovely line from Nadine. And I, I actually really like the character of Nadine. She's kooky and she's she's mental, but I just love her. Um, and she says, "True love is giving what makes the other happy." And like, if that's not yeah. the encapsulation, 
I don't know what is. Yeah. I love what one of the things she says is, you are free, go and enjoy. It's almost like drink deep and descend. <laughs> oh, my God, that's yeah. so, so true. But, I mean, and, you know, Ed looks... Um, Ed's facial expressions in all of this are just priceless. Yeah. You know, he starts out, he's a bit confused. Then he's a bit worried that, you know, this is... He's sort of being shown, given something and it's going to get taken away from him. Then it's like a burden's been lifted from his shoulders and he's like, oh, shit, I've got to do something with this. Run! I've got to go, yeah. <laughs> and run he does um, to the double R. And it almost doesn't work out. I thought, oh, after all this, and she says, you've missed your chance, basically. Oh, That's I know, I my I heart going. sank yeah. at yeah. that point. No, but she uh, literally and figuratively um, breaks up with... What's the dude's name? Walter. Walter. Mm. Um, and wants Walter to buy her Walter out. Walter the Spiv. Yeah, so she's just going back to what she's always done, just running her, the double R and doing all that stuff. So, yeah. I totally love that. I mean, I think we talked a couple of parts ago about how Norma has just been so compliant in all of her life. You know, she mm-hmm. she breaks up with, you know, Ed sort of disappears off in, in the Vietnam War and she hooks up with Hank and Hank kind of says, well, let's get married. And she just goes along with it. And then, you know, she's kind of just gone along with things in her entire life. And this is it's really nice to see her break the circuit this time and she's presented with an opportunity and to to reunite with Ed and she's like, you know what, I'm taking it. And to think that uh, his two people that are now pushing, he'd be pushing 70, his character. She, oh, and, yeah, for sure. And she's in her mid-60s. Like, the, that the end, like, no matter how late in your life, it's never too late to find that song. Oh, it just seems beautiful. And, yeah. and the song that actually sort of underplays yeah. all this is, and I've been loving you for a long time, I think. Is, it? is that like an Otis Redding song? Yeah, or yeah it is. It's Otis Redding. Yeah, yeah. I've been loving you so long. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, uh, she also confirms uh, not, uh, in, a, in a roundabout way, uh, sadly enough, that um, it seems Annie died because she says she has no family left. Um, oh. She's yes. talking to Walter. Which wow. is actually kind of a really neat way of dispensing with that thread yeah. without having to make a big deal of it, yeah. if that makes sense. Although, yeah. if, if Harry Truman is any, then that's just <laughs> every single character said in Norma, I hear uh, your sister Annie is no longer living. I'm <laughs> sorry so to hear true. that. Just keep repeating I'm it. So, <laughs> I see true. And, you know, again, you know, Ed's, and, and all, all hats off to Everett McGill, who plays Ed Hurley. That moment when Norma basically walks off with Walter and he just looks so hurt and yeah. so wounded. And then there's this beautiful moment where he sidles up to the counter like like he's at a saloon in a, in a Western film and um, Shelley offers, you know, asks him what he wants. He wants a coffee and a cyanide tablet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, still got a, he's, still, he's still got a wry sense of humour, which oh. is just fantastic. Now, so. I'd love to think that Shelley's looking at their reunion and thinking, hey, maybe I don't need to make bad decisions with yeah. my life. Yes. I hope maybe. she learns a lesson and she, doesn't, and she doesn't act upon it when she's in her mid-60s. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now's the time Now's to the time. find Bobby again. Shelley, don't worry about this red yeah. asshole. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, asshole called red. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby has a red asshole. Oh. Okay, that just took a turn for the worse. Wow. So we cut to a shot of electrical wires and sort of buzzing along these electrical wires. I think this might be the same shot that Andy saw in the White Lodge last week. It is, totally. Um, so, yeah, and I think even last week when we were talking about it, we were saying that we weren't certain whether some of these shots were from future episodes or, mm. you know, past, future, in the both in the way that the episodes are presented and also maybe in the chronology of what's going on in Twin Peaks. So I think we know now. I think we know. Um, and then we go to a another favourite Lynch image, which is 
the driving on the highway from filmed yeah. from the point of view of the, of the driver from in, inside a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, was, and, and it goes that goes for quite, that goes for quite some time actually. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a motif that we've seen like so yeah. often. Like if you saw it in another film, you would have to say, "Oh, how Lynchian of them to have included a car." Now, which has now probably become the most overused adjective of all time. Yeah, so <laughs> mostly by people that have probably never actually really spent time. Studying the films of Lynch and the work of Lynch is like the same way that I, I refer to things as oh it's so much so like Samuel Beckett but I've seen like what one play <laughs> how would I know yeah. but you sound so smart when oh, you say it literally everything I do is Lynchian for yes me, so. that's right <laughs> actually in your case yes it is oh wait can I give a shout out yeah, um, yeah. I need to give a shout out to new. Uh, Bar, a small bar that's opened in Sydney. Oh yeah, uh, right. Sydney, Australia. It's a, it's part tiki themed, but it's also part David Lynch themed. And so oh. I went there this week. It's called Jacoby's. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is. It's called Jacoby's. Uh, they've got the Twin Peaks board game sitting behind the bar. So oh my god! Got I'm not saying. Hang on. Stop it. So you blew my mind because I'd forgotten about. Dale Cooper, my life, my tapes. But there's a Twin Peaks board game. There is a Twin Peaks board game. I've got a photo of myself uh, with it. Um, I'd never seen it before in the in the flesh, but uh, I did. There's, I mean, it looks pretty lame. Like, but <laughs> is it are, like Cluedo or something? It or? seems to be like a little bit like Cluedo. You've got it, not exactly that, but I did see some cards that you you know you pick up a card and one's the one armed man and one's the giant. Wow! But then there's also on the board itself, it's it's like. Um, it's clearly from season one because it says uh, Leland is crying again. Skip a turn. <laughs> uh, I thought that was gold. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Um, and what's a place? And it's called Jacoby's. Called Jacoby's. Uh, the the little hallway at the back that takes you to the bathrooms is total Black Lodge style. So they've got the drapes and the the pattern of the of the floor oh my god i'm hey, going I there immediately I'm why are we now. still here yeah that's right why yeah. Are recording from yeah i know exactly. when when i went with my friends because we just stopped in for a drink before going to a gig during the week and i when they saw the card i put to start the bar tab yeah they're like oh you're the last name flinch free shots for you and oh, your that's we, are, we are totally <laughs> taking you with us then oh, there you go that's oh, outstanding it. um yeah so shout out to jacoby's yeah so we we're talking about um the next scene, which is basically Bad Coop's driving on a, on a highway in the middle of the night. Um, uh, presumably he's heading to the Dutchman's. Yes, Whatever yes. that may be. Well, it, it, oh, it sounds like the Dutchman is... Um, Ray says, oh, I already looked it up. I, I don't know where the Dutchman's is. It's, it's not a place. It's a, what is? Uh, I know what that is. I know what that is. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So that's clearly what it is. It's the room above the convenience store. Um, I love that in previous episodes that we've talked about oh, well, that can't possibly be the convenience store because there's no room above it mm. until we realise that it's not a room in the 3D yeah. spatial sense. It's some sort of other metaphysical place that you go to above the convenience store. Which, when you think about it, is, does bring it, uh, take it, bring the lie to what uh, the one I man said, where he said he, he means it like it is, like it sounds. Oh, yeah, It's right. like, no, no one armed man, it's <laughs> not like it is or like it sounds. <laughs> But, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. So, one, this convenience store is is the convenience store from Part 8. Yes. Um, and you're quite right that there is... It's no, there's no actual physical yeah, room it above. it can be anywhere. It can be anywhere. Mm. How does that accord with the way the convenience store... The, the room above the convenience store is depicted in Firewalk With Me, though? Well, I don't think they... I mean, the, it's never given a physical space. The only way we know of it as being above the convenience store is... 
we sort of interpret what Philip Jeffries is saying. Right, and okay, it looks fine. like a room. So there's no exterior shots. There's no exterior no, shots. No, convenience stores there, no. Okay, I just had forgotten. And actually, whilst all of this um, is moving along, the Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima is the, is the soundtrack that under, underlies that. Oh, is it? Yeah. So that's back again. So yeah. Penderecki's back again. Yeah, and this is definitely, if we were, as if we were any doubt, um, the clues are all there. The wallpaper's there. You've got the jumping man, man with that sort of skinny oh, nose yeah. mask. Which that creeps oh, me out. Yeah, still. Also, um, that, that shot where you saw him, if you slow that down uh, for a couple of frames, his face is merged with Sarah Palmer's face. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, yeah. shit. Boom. True. Okay, you just totally blow my mind. I know. I was holding that. I How did you slow that down? I didn't. Someone on the internet did. <laughs> Oh, right, okay. But, but, we know, but then you see the, the shots and you're like, yes, absolutely. Now, there are some some people have questioned whether there are actually other faces on there as well, like maybe a, a, a version of Leland's face. Mm. But then the, I, my own theory, or my, my view is that, no, actually that's just the, you know, the halfway between. They haven't quite got to Sarah's face yet, so it doesn't really... Mm. Yeah, look, it's half. So projected on top of the mask, is that what you're saying? Yes, so when you see that that mask face just for a quarter of a second, it's it's basically as if um, Sarah Palmer has replaced replaced him in space and time. Oh, my God. Okay. man. So a lot of this scene, at least uh, for quite most of it, actually, or half of it anyway, is um, there's nothing is spoken. But there's these um, the great moments between Bad Coop and, and the various woodsmen mm. Mm. that he encounters. So the first one is, is the woodsman that stands outside the convenience store whose eyes are glowing in the dark, which freaked me out no yeah, end. Yeah. I cannot watch this show at night. I keep saying <laughs> I seriously can't. And then, um, then he meets the, the woodsman, like another woodsman. At, uh, he's sitting at some switches, some lever switches. It very much feels like... The woodsman in Firewalk with me that sort of slaps yeah. his thigh. Yep, and, yep. And I think there might have even been in the missing pieces. I haven't gone back to look again recently, but I think there was a cut scene where that character reached back and pulled a lever in in that scene. Yeah, as well. you're quite I think right. So, you are. Yeah. That's, so, I think that's exactly, yeah. exactly that's, right. That's almost like his job. He's <laughs> <laughs> the lever which, puller, which also makes sense because there was a lever being pulled in the Move room. Um, yep, that's right. So there are various waiting rooms, um, whether it be the red room, the mauve room, or here, and uh, you can. If there's some form of lever pulled, and that, yep. that influences where you travel to next. Yep, yep. And of course, you know, there's a whole stack of electricity and lights crackling, and yeah, yeah. there's a lot of and there's a lot of strobe lighting going on. Actually, quite one of the things in this particular episode, in particular, there's a lot of strobe lighting in places where it makes sense, and that also adds to this the sort of electricity crackling and what have you. It yeah. brings things together. There's also like that weird geometry of uh, you go through one door and you used to be inside but now you're outside into a courtyard and they're like it intentionally meant to disorient you. Like, yeah. like some of the scenes oh, for sure. um, in the um, in the original, you know, where like Cooper is running from, he parts the curtain in the in one of the lodges and um, then he goes through a different curtain then he backtracks but he doesn't go back to the same it's room it's a different room because yeah. the statues are different like all it's that it's like thing. total Narnia kind yeah there's this complete yeah. like um, uh, that space does not exist here like it does um, in yeah. you know with it the doesn't exist world. spatially yeah yeah. <laughs> um, but but the, the second woodsman that um, Bad Coop runs <laughs> space through. does not exist in this dojo does it no sensei <laughs> 
That was in the Matrix. <laughs> <from> the Karate <laughs> Kid. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, Maybe wow. I'm drawing a bow. Too. Oh, that's such a long bow. <laughs> <laughs> the second woodsman that um, Bad Creep runs into, the one who's pulling the lever, is also bleeding from the mouth or has oh, got some sort of blood-like yeah. substance around his oh. lips. I didn't notice. Which I think last part we talked about in the context of the drunk mm. in the prison, which now makes me wonder whether it, it probably isn't blood. You know, we were talking about is it blood or is it not? And right. now I'm sort of thinking with this woodman, woodsman having this stuff, I'm yeah. starting to think that it's not blood. It could be the 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 burn the smell of burnt engine oil is like what comes out of them and that's why that oh. smell is around and why they leave deposits there. And yeah, yeah or, or exactly something like that, or and that might explain this sort of sickness that seems to be overcoming the some of the residents of Twin Peaks. That's really well. true. Yeah. Then he meets his final destination. So he's on he's on track. The main thing he wants to do is meet Philip Jeffries, but he can't get into a locked door until a sort of a woman comes out of the uh, <laughs> Oh, comes out of the shadows. Scared me as well. Who was credited as bosomy woman? Yeah, you can't be led into a room by a non-bosomy woman. That just wouldn't make sense. No, that wouldn't make no. any sense at all. No. Um, and so you need a male actor to portray a bosomy woman. Well, I think there was a bit of irony in naming a bosomy woman. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I think there was David Lynch having a bit of a laugh. Yeah. Um, but the. Again, the motel room is, is number eight, and I think the number eight has appeared in a couple of other episodes before because I was talking about the number eight being the, per- the number of good fortune in yep. Chinese no. mythology. Now, I'm not entirely sure that it's going to be good fortune in this instance. No. Well, um, the only well, other... maybe it is. Later in the episode, we get to see... Is it this episode? Later in the episode, we get to see James and Freddie get locked up, and they are in cell eight. Yes. Yeah, so Freddie's in cell 8 and James is in cell 7. Yes. yes. And Chad's in cell 10. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's any significance. Anyway, so they no. go into the... Did anyone else think that that hotel with the sort of the inner courtyard thing was a bit like um, the hotel in Mulholland Drive? That, I actually no, thought it was more like the one in Firewalk with me exactly that, um, that uh, oh. Teresa Banks oh, yeah. is residing in. Yes. Oh. When you see those courtyard shots, yep. it's, it's that motel. Oh, okay, right. Oh, I didn't put two and two together. Yeah. 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 Um, we, we finally get to meet Jeffries and uh, he's a teapot. Yeah, he's a teapot. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Why not? Because... If you can't get an actor, the, you either replace it with a brain on a stick or a teapot. That's yes. just Well, it's better than trying to retrofit with it with a human form that kind of looks like but doesn't. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. So, you know, if you're going to do it, go all out. Now, look, I, I actually made it in my notes, like, that that thing which looks like, uh, to me, it looks like those pylons that we keep seeing that... Um, Looks like a pylon with a bit of an extra arm, one arm, uh, hanging off it. Oh, you mean so like the bell? Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. saw in part three and in part eight. So yeah. part three was in the sort of just outside the Mauve room. Yeah. Again, which also didn't, a space that wasn't spatially. Yeah, it wasn't spatially accurate. Accurate. Yeah. Um, and then in part eight where um, the the, fire, the character we now know as a fireman. Yes. Um, is with Senorita Dito. Yes. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's looked like one of those things, um, in which case that that thing might not physically be Jeffries. It might just be the thing that Jeffries is communicating through. That's um, a really good point, actually. We were debating about this off-air, and so Lynchy and I were thought, well, no, maybe that actually is Jeffries. But when you talk about it in that context, mm. now I'm starting to doubt the surety of my original stance. Maybe. Um, here's a thought. If if we think of that, uh, the, the teapot Jeffries uh, <laughs> shape as being... 
uh, a version of those pylons with one arm. Mm. Uh, what's something else that has that one arm uh, type physicality is uh, poker machines. That was such a oh. uh, yeah. one arm bandits. Oh wow! Yeah, one arm man. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that maybe that that teapot thing might have been white in colour and a bit thinner, and then you could have had the thin oh, white juice. Thin white, oh, thin white nice. teapot. <laughs> <laughs> teapot machine. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh, sorry. Before we move on, I just wanted to make mention of just how beautifully and how richly filmed this whole this sequence mm. in particular. This really dark room. The colour choices are really interesting, and then this barely flickering fluorescent light mm. under which Cooper stands, which also sort of has a strobe-like kind of effect. Mm. Um, I just thought it was, for me anyway, very evocative. Yeah, yeah, it was very creepy scene. And from a story point of view, I don't feel we got a lot of information yet, um, but the mystery just deepens so mm. much in terms of... I still don't know what the Philip Jeffries... Uh, whether the whether the Philip Jeffries we've seen and heard is exactly the the Bowie, or if it's a bit of doppelganger, mm-hmm. what yep. its gender is, whether it's on the, yeah. I mean it's it's in the Black Lodge, it's above the convenience store, so mm-hmm. it's aligned to that. But what's what's happened to Jeffries to to, to do that? Why is his agenda anti Bad Cooper? Yeah, why is he trying to assassinate Bad Cooper? Um, does he want to be with Bob again? Yeah, like, there's so much. There's so much deep in there, and I think we'll only only once we find out who Judy is. I think that'll probably try and maybe yeah. it'll tie yeah. some of that stuff together. I for the longest time, I always thought Judy was just the nickname for Garland Briggs because with a name like Garland, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, his, yeah. his name was Judy I Garland. That, that was his sort of nickname um, for Briggs. But she she is mentioned as a she, and you have met her. Like you met Judy. Yeah. Um, well, there is a. Um there is a suggestion that Judy is Josie Packard's twin sister. Yes. So there's a letter that Joan Chen, who's the actress that played Josie Packard, penned to David Lynch, which we will definitely put on the show notes. Yes. Because um, it's it, so sad. Because it is oh, so it's pretty pathetic, sad. I know. But, um, you know, she... And actually, and I don't know where... I mean, she writes it as, as Josie, and Josie's English has obviously improved out of sight in 25 <laughs> years. But um, she... Well, she's overheard a lot of people in their, in the Great Northern Lodge yes. where she's been trapped. She's like... Yeah. Not, just, not just lusting and sweating, yeah. as she yeah. says in the letter. Um, but she talks about her twin sister, Judy. Yeah, so Bob Engels, who co-wrote, who produced the second season of Twin Peaks, yes. uh, was one of the guys His who sort of took work. over... When Lynch and Frost weren't around, he co-wrote Firework with me, with David Lynch, and he said that they the intention behind Judy uh, was either to be developed in that movie or in what they had thought was going to be a um, parts two and three of a movie trilogy of right, the Pixar right. movies. Right. Um, they were going to deepen that, and that was mm. intended to be Josie's twin sister there, mm. Mm. Um, but. I think now, just like we were saying in the debrief from last part, uh, they're able to use that mythology. And okay, so in 1992, they intended Judy to become yeah. that something. Now it can mean something entirely yes. different because the only thing that's canon is Philip Jeffries saying we're not going to talk about Judy. Yeah, well, yeah. And the other thing also that is canon, I guess, is in the deleted scenes. Um, when Philip Jeffries is in Argentina, he asked the hotel clerk whether yeah, a Miss Ju- whether Judy has left a message for him, and a Miss Judy had left something for him. Yeah, that's right. So another indicator, of course, that Judy is a woman. Yeah. yeah. Also in Firewalk with me, 
uh, monkeys um, or monkey says Judy. Yes. Um, you love that. You keep talking about that. Well, I mean, it just I, it freaked me out at the time in the movie. I was like, "What is it? Why is there a monkey saying Judy?" Um, but yeah, there is there is a, a, a link because they're continuing the monkey sound yeah. motif yeah. as well. Yeah. So. so we also have another place. I guess some sort of placement of time, or just some markers of time. So, um, Bad Cooper asked Teapot whether he called. Why he called him five days ago? Mm. So that would sort of place that around. I think the time that they last had a discussion was, or a call was, after Bad Cooper killed Daria. Yeah, in the motel. In the hotel, yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming that, that there's been a five day period since then. Yeah. Uh, well, later in the episode, we also get some more information about um, timelines and stuff like that. Mm. Um, in his, in his, uh, not so much his argument with Jeffries, but it's. It's been pointed out on online that that's the first time we really see Bad Cooper out of control. Yeah. Like, he's begging for information and not knowing what's happening rather than sort he of... He doesn't need, he wants. He wants. Well, that's right. <laughs> this time it seems like he needs because yeah. he's like, what's he... He's saying, who is Judy? Is that, is that what he shouts out? He yeah. does. So who is Judy? He actually says it a couple of times. Yeah. He says, you met Judy. Yeah. Why don't you go ask Judy for yourself? And then these little puffs out these little smoke numbers, yeah. which again maybe coordinates or a phone number or something. Four eight zero double five one four. I think someone said that they are the beginning of the same Twin Peaks coordinates. Yes. That oh, that, that, right. Yeah, that sort of feels right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then you know, Bad Coop somehow pulls out a notepad, like a very large notepad, and pen. And writes his, it down. From his small packet, from his small pocket to write it down. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got the phone rings and Mr. C does a matrix and matrixes out of one phone into the another phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, exits, the, exits the convenience store, uh, only to be found out that Richard Horn has been following him. Yeah, well, the last time we saw Richard Horn, he was at the uh, at the farm. Yeah, and he had seen this character that was or he saw Bad Coop on on that very large screen and, and was transfixed by it. Um, and, and now we know why because he actually had seen this person or a someone that looks like this person in a photograph that his mother has. Mm-hmm. His mother, oh, of course, you my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he knows that he's FBI, and we do finally have the confirmation 100% that his mum is Audrey Horn. Mm. I know we've suspected that. That was never sort of... Oh, I think we've had confirmation prior to that. Well, we, we didn't have confirmation. We're just like, well, the only other thing it could be is if Johnny's could be jo- Yeah. But now we've got... Yeah. yeah okay. Now that it has been spoken. I'll, I'll, yes. I'll let you yeah. have it. <laughs> um, so this is the other thing I was talking about with the timelines is that um, after uh, Cooper beats up um, Dick Horn... That he sends. Uh, can I just say, I've never been so happy <laughs> to, see, so to, see, out of oh, to see a bad guy like just beat the shit out of someone. Yeah, <laughs> it's always good. Um, then he sends a text, presumably to Diane, that says Las Vegas question uh, mark. And we have yeah. seen this text before, um, which means that some of the stuff that we're seeing, some of the stuff that we have seen, that's in Las Vegas. Uh, so not in Las Vegas. In where are they? Buckhorn. Mm. Well, where, yes. where are Cooper? Well, no, where, where are Gordon Cole? They're in Buckhorn. They're in Buckhorn. So the, 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 they're bad, at the Mayfair the Hotel. The Bad Coop timeline is a, a day or two ahead of the FBI timeline. Which would Buckhorn. absolutely put paid to the proposition that he's trying to divert Cole and Co. to Vegas. Yeah, so definitely yeah. backing up what you were saying before. Yeah. 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 So, so I think, the, yeah. The intention being if they, if they know that 
if he knows that there were coordinates that he's looking for and now knows where vaguely they are, yeah. um, that he's trying to get yeah. Gordon Cole to the other side of the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. basically, yeah. Because that well-known coastal town, Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah. <That's laughs> well, the, we, the western uh, side the of the western country. the side of the country. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why you never eat the shrimp in Vegas, isn't it? Because it's, yeah. And, and um, you know, as, as Bad Coop and, and Richard drive off, you see um, a, a reprise of what we saw in Part 8 with a convenience store with smoke coming from within and above the convenience store and, um, and sort of, uh, you know, effectively disappear, disappearing. Into, mm. into the forest. Yeah. I love the way we've got two gas stations. One is sort of the paragon of evil and bad stuff happening. The other one's the paragon of good, which is Big Ed's. Uh, well, I don't think that's any... That's a coincidence. Like, a, I think that's a very deliberate Oh, choice. right. You think that's a bit yeah. deliberate choice. Yeah. And, and just remember, we've always thought of Big Ed's as being very, um, you know, straightforward. It is what it... It is what it looks like. Yep, yep. Until we saw sort Big Ed eating his soup a couple of parts ago and saw that Yes, glitch. yep, mm. yep. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how we dissolve from here. Do we sort of fold into the woods and cross-dissolve? But then we're, we're back in the woods or a different section of the woods in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, and we've got Stephen and Gersten on the run. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing we see is just this, another random new character, which is just this, this man walking a French bulldog through the woods. Oh, yeah, right. Who's credited as Cyril Pons, who's played by... Bum, Mark, bum, Mark Frost. Mark Frost. Oh, Mark Frost getting a bit of the acting action. Which... It's only fair. And yeah. what what I got a little kick out of was seeing the fact that that character uh, in uh, a couple of minutes later interacts with Gersten Haywood. Oh, yeah. So, I loved it. So the son of Warren Frost uh, has interacted with the daughter of Warren Frost's character. And so, just to close that loop, Warren Frost, yes, I mean, so, obviously. So, yeah, the guy father. that played Doc Haywood, yeah. uh, so Gersten Haywood's father and Donna Haywood's father, was Warren Frost, who is the father of Mark Frost, co-creator of Twin Peaks. So they've just closed that little loop right there. Wow. Yeah, it's Love really him. cute. It was yeah. a nice touch. So that means the dog walker is Gersten's brother. <laughs> no, no, not true. Um, but some serious shit's about to go down here. Oh, well, yeah. has gone down as well. Well, ain't, that's right. Yeah. So, so you know, S- Stephen is, is in the in the woods. He's clearly freaking out. He's scratching his leg furiously, which suggests to me he's high. Yeah. And I think which then Gerson confirms a couple, maybe a couple of minutes later. And, um, he keeps saying, you know, he, he, that, she, that he did it. He did something. I don't know what it is. We're not told. Gerson says she did it. I presume the she is a reference to Becky, but we don't know. Yep, yep. Um, you know, he and he was he was stoned. What did what did she give you? So, yeah, I've got no speculation to what any of that means. Oh. In fact, I've got no speculation to be about even what happens next. Now, what was the the line about what did she give? Who says? Gersten says to Stephen, "What did she give you?" As a, as she, as now she it came a, immediately off the context of you were stoned. Yeah sort of, you know, rocking back and forth a little bit, what did she give you? Because mm. my take on that, and I can't explain that line, is that uh, there was a, that he's killed Becky. Um, yep. I think, or I thought that maybe there was a struggle over the gun that we last saw yep. in her hands, Yep. Um, which probably, which would support him saying, I did it, and she saying, no, no, she did it, yep. uh, that the gun's yep. gone off, Becky's dead. Yep. yep. Uh, and 
look, if you look at if you look at the subtitles of the entirety of that conversation, there's some pretty gross stuff in there uh, in terms of how he's. Uh, professing his love for Gersten. There is some... Re- we, we, we won't talk about <laughs> Don't it. Don't need but to, but, um, you know, uh, if Stephen had survived this scene, we'd probably suggest Lift Your Game. <laughs> <laughs> lift Your Game. Well, what woman wouldn't fall for that <laughs> for kind of... Those overtures. Yeah, he's yeah. What, he's, what a smoothie. Um, but, look, I, you know, we talked about Becky a little while ago, and I probably it's probably in the context of that first domestic violence scene that we saw, and there was a lot of, Beck, you know, speculating Becky is a victim, victim of abuse. And I said, look, I don't think this girl's on the upper... Like, she's not entirely a good girl, mm. you know, because there was a reference to you did... She did something. So I don't know whether this something is the same thing, but I think we just know that this is not a good... If this is... If we are still talking about Becky, this is not a good... Entirely a good person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, eventually, we lose sight of Stephen... Uh, then we hear a gunshot. Now, it's not clear whether I first thought he might have shot the dog-walking guy, but the dog-walking guy is fine. He's totally he's he's fine, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, did he shoot himself? Did he shoot a third person? Uh, or did he just fire the gun in the air? Like, I've got no idea. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think to all intents and purposes, because Stephen's talking about how he's going to kill himself and he wants to take Gersten with him and she says, I'm not going and you're not going either. Yeah, right. Um, you just infer that he's put the gun to his own head. Okay, yeah. maybe. That's what I inferred. But you're quite right, Phil. That's only an inference. There's no suggestion that that's actually what's happened. Yeah. yeah. Either way, Gerson starts losing his shit and just going crazy. Well, as, as you would. I mean, she, this has clearly been a very distressing situation. Mm. Mm. Um, loss, loss, it's a perfectly good bump <laughs> <laughs> um, with, I mean, with a high degree of sexualisation as well. So this whole sort of theme of of sex and, and danger or violence coming together. We've actually seen a couple of times. We saw it with Daria and Badcoop just yep. before he killed her, yep, and yep. we see it here again. I think the only way they could have made that whole scene more tragic is if, like, the gun goes off, his body slumps, and then his phone rings and a voicemail is left by Mike saying, we've got you that job. Thanks for sorting out your resume. Oh, cruel man. Oh, God. That would be fantastic. Yeah. But, but Cyril Pons, the, the dog walker, has, who's seen all of this and actually run, he, he runs away and actually that's what causes the distraction that allows Gersten to get away from Stephen as well. Um, clearly has, he's, he's seen something, he needs to do something with that. So where else does he go but to the Fat Trout mm. to seek out Carl Rod? He's just like this tribal elder that just is, you know, he's making sure that people aren't selling their blood. He's, you know, checking check up on uh, Shelley to make sure she's all right. He's got his, get everything sorted out. Yeah. I'm surprised he just didn't bring out his tin whistle and uh, holler, for a, holler for a van to come and pick him up. Uh, yeah. So I, I feel like if, the, if, if where they're hiding out in the woods is that close to the fat trout, then the struggle over the gun uh, and what I think is the killing of Becky has happened in, within their trailer. And so they point out that trailer and if, uh, yeah, if right. they go inside... You're, I think we're going to see Becky. his body. Yeah, that's you could join those dots and come up with that picture. Yes, that's true. I mean, what we do know from the scene is you you see um, Cyril and, and Carl talking to each other from far away, and, and Cyril's pointing to the woods, and then you go close up, and um, Cyril says he lives in that trailer over there, pointing to the mm. trailer, and we know it's the Burnett trailer because there's a hole in the window yeah. from where that that. Coffee mug was thrown out when they when they had the big fight. Yeah, yeah. Bye, Stephen. 
R.I.P. Thanks. Stephen. It's been fun. We feel like we never knew you, <laughs> and we're glad. Um, yeah, we, I have no feelings. We go to the Bang Bang Bar where we crank things up to eleven. <laughs> Beyond eleven, Beyond. it's like into the red zone. Yeah, right. Fifteen. Is this the first time that we've had recorded music in the in the Bang Bang Bar? I feel like it is. Everything else has been live music. Well, right? certainly the first time that a point has been made. Of it being a recorded track, yeah, and also it sort of sounds the way that um, the MC announces that it, it's kind of like it's a regular regular thing that happens at the um, at the Roadhouse. They have a playlist, yeah, yeah, right. And tonight's uh, playlist number is CZ uh, <laughs> 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 Top Sharp Dressed Man. My God. Look, someone probably has some theories as to why this might have been chosen, but I just. Find it ridiculous. Yeah, it's, because yeah. I still remember from the original series, one of the things that they were most proud of was this idea that the roadhouse was was the home for all the bikers, and it was the the misfits the, the, of society, misfits, basically. But the, the but they'd be in a place where the band was Julie Cruz, and that bikers would be having fights and brawls, <laughs> playing ethereal stuff. And now it's just gone out now. It's like. The, the full redneck music. Well, I think well, the Renaults right? have worked out that misfits don't spend nearly as enough money, as much money as regular people. <laughs> yeah, no, so yeah, right. he's kind of changed the. At their booths, drinking their white wine. Exactly, he's changed the vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love the pine cone that's taped to the end of the microphone oh, that that's, um, that's great. the MC uses. It's just gorgeous. Mm. And then he goes, he starts dancing, the crowd goes nuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, James and Freddie uh, pop in. Yeah. One Punch Freddie. One Punch Freddie. Now. Now taking care of business. Yeah, really. Oh, totally. So we some of those um, characters that we had heard about a couple of parts ago are now starting to appear. Um, and one of them is, is Chuck. Yep. And now we know that... Uh, and we heard about Chuck when Audrey and um, Charles. Charlie were talking the first time that we saw them. I think oh, yeah, part right. 12. Yep, yep. And... Um, so is Chuck Renee's husband or... Chuck is Renee's husband. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah and, and we know that James has got a thing for Renee. yeah. Okay, Chuck Rene, Jacques Renault. Oh, possible, possible uh, theory? No, no, no. no. Yeah, coincidence? Yeah, I Poss- think yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chuck, yeah, they know. But look, it's very, it's very clear that Chuck knows that James's feelings for Renee are not entirely platonic or there's, there's something yeah. that's not quite right or maybe Chuck's just a jealous guy and just doesn't yeah. want anyone else looking but we've seen we've wife. seen Renee crying over James when he was uh, singing the bar and all that sort of stuff so but you, you're just now assuming that those scenes are running in sequence in chronological sequence oh right maybe she's drinking alone because uh, Chuck's had a quick trip to the hospital because Chuck gets fucked by One Punch Freddy mm. I don't know I'm, I'm not making the assumption yeah. but yeah so anyway um, Chuck clearly doesn't like it. He's itching for a fight. He has, he cracks, uh, he, he belts James, and, and James puts up such a fight, he hits the ground in two seconds. <laughs> yeah, James's uh, character from Gladiator or whatever it was in would not, would not be... He does crazy. not deserve to wear a leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the trope an injustice. I know. I think even uh, Wally Brando would probably... Be better, put up a better, yeah, put up a better fight than James. Exactly. He's a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wants to... I know, I know. Anyway, so um, so it, it leaves it to Freddie to, to come to James's rescue. What did they fuck with the wrong guy? Oh, mm. man. Bam. Seriously. And then there, after all of that, James like, oh, I'm so sorry. We didn't mean to do that. And like, <laughs> no, fuck, I fucking think they did. Yeah. That guy doesn't... Everyone, call 911. These guys need help. <laughs> yes, don't just stand around. 
Well, but, but I mean, Chuck starts foaming from. You see, Chuck is foaming from the mouth. His eyes don't look right. Like there is more. This is more than just even one hell of a Nadine style punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or a, oh, but, he's got his White Lodge uh, powered green glove. And yeah, yeah. And, it's basically it's Hulk hands. He's got Hulk yeah, hands. right. And yeah. and look, by the way, I mean, I sort of said a Nadine style punch. I mean, I know it's only just because I remember that um, in sort of parts part two, in season two, I think. Nadine is after she she's shot or whatever she's imbued with superhuman mm. strength. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she and she whoops ass on um, Hank. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there's a connection. Well, we've also seen the superhuman punch of um, Cooper after the arm wrestling as well. Mister C uh, yeah. punches Re- Renzo, whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah. Renzo. That's right. Yeah. Um, why would the just while we're on there? Why would the White Lodge gift such powers? That you can just go around one punch killing people. Presumably, I mean, they those guys were dickheads, but they weren't. They weren't evil. Yeah. So he just killed two guys, including um, and also um, snapped the neck of the guy who sold him the glove in the first yeah. place. It sounds like the White Lodge have just it unleashed this weapon onto the world, just going around. Well, with, killing great, people. with great power comes responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, that responsibility has to be learned. Yeah, that's right. He's in. He's the, only twenty three. Yeah. Exactly. He's as in he told his us. own little act two of a Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't come. Well, good if you're going to quote the Karate Kid. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> All right, we're back in Las Vegas, and finally, uh, our Las Vegas detectives have picked up uh, Dougie, Dougie Jones, Mr. and Mrs. Dougie Jones, yeah. and their kids. Plural kids. <laughs> uh, look, it was just a, it was just a nice it was a nice scene, and basically, you know, these guys are like Keystone Cops, a bit like the Fuscos, really. So clearly, anyone in law enforcement in Vegas is just not quite yeah right, not great yeah. Um, but I just love how uh, the actor who plays Randall Headley just basically hunts his offside of Wilson down the corridor <laughs> <laughs> once he's worked out that he's stuffed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we stay in Vegas and it's look, it's time to take care of business with Duncan Todd. Well, I was just about to say the, the way the FBI guy chases after Wilson, it's like the opposite of Duncan Todd and Roger. Duncan <laughs> Todd stays still and calls Roger in and speaks quietly, whereas the other guy just chases after oh, yeah. Wilson! <laughs> but that uh, that reflection is about to come to an end. Oh, As yeah. one door opens for Las Vegas, uh, another closes, and yeah. goodbye, Duncan Todd. Goodbye, Roger. And his goodbye, man, Roger. Friday, Roger. Roger didn't yeah. do anything for our Roger just... Okay, Duncan's got a lot to answer for. Yeah. But clearly his, um, his, uh, his, inep- his inability to close the deal um, is come, has caught up with him. Yeah. Uh, it also really means now that maybe um, Anthony is going to be off the hook. Um, so remember Anthony... Um, well, that's right, because I asked, and I haven't heard from him. Yeah, so he might he might be off the hook now, because he was worried that, oh, he's going to have to testify against Duncan Todd in court and all that sort of stuff. Well, he's not in any danger now, so he's... still he's... got the cops, though, the, the crooked cops. Oh, the crooked, the crooked cops. cops. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Who obviously were separately working with Duncan Todd directly, yeah. so... yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but who else is going to do? I mean, the only the only really effective people in this um, series are Chantel and Hutch. <laughs> They're the only people get stuff done. Yeah, I, I love because obviously we see them after she she takes care of business. They're, they're munching on their Wendy's burgers. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that the idea that somewhere there could be a, a spin-off series. Oh yeah, the equivalent oh. of those two, Chantal and Hutch, and it's actually just like Twin Peaks, where instead of cherry pie, they just fetishize burgers. Oh yeah, it's like and I ch- kill someone and, and I'm like, gonna have these really good cheese <laughs> twists yeah. and burgers. Nice, damn fine burgers. So there's, yeah. a, there's a couple of 
think, well, I mean, now we've got a spin-off series for Philip Jeffries and yeah. Gordon Cole in 1975, and yeah. we've got the spin-off for, for Chantal Hutch. Um, you guys won't have noticed this, but mm. as the lone female in this in this quartet, Chantal is wearing the same shoes as oh, um, the French woman that was in Gordon Cole's. What? Wow. She, she's wearing a pair of Christian Libertown black wow. heels. So she shot those guys wearing heels. That's yeah. even more impressive. And they were like pencil heels. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, she was still at her heels, I should say. But um, look, it was nice. <laughs> even the way I reacted to your story, Ben, like I thought the end of the story is when you said she's wearing the same shoes. And I was like, oh, she's been wearing the same shoes for a couple of weeks. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was one of them. Wow, that's, the, that's a good. You, no, you no, they're exactly the same, same brand of shoes character. as the French woman right. that was in Gordon's um, hotel room. Well, Chantal, a little bit Frenchy. Chantal, Just a little bit yeah. French, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they need their own spin-off series, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else happens? Oh, James and Freddie gets locked up in cells seven and eight. Which mm. I feel like it's like it's almost like that's the meeting lodge meeting point for the White Lodge task force. Yeah. So you've got Nido there yes. and now you've got One Punch Freddy. Yep. So both either sent by or linked to the White Lodge somehow. Yeah. And then Andy Pure of Heart is upstairs or, you know, just around the corner or wherever that Oh, yeah, he's been yeah. there. Carl Rod just needs to turn up. Yep. Yeah. Sadly, Log Lady's not going to turn up, unfortunately. Shush. And, and, and Harry just needs to make a recovery. Yeah. Yes. And Big Ed rocks in and we've got the book house. Yeah. Oh, I'm talking about, about people that have actually bonafide no, gone know, to the White Lodge. I know. Yeah, I yeah. know. What, if, what if Harry makes a recovery as a teapot? <laughs> An actual teapot where yeah. they just, like, pour the tea in. I don't like, know. Oh, man. Oh, man. But, um, look, the, 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 scene in, the scene in last part as well where you've got Nido, these sounds that are emanating from or around Nido and drunk guy aping them, but to me felt very much like season one of Twin Peaks where Mike and Bobby are in the jail cell and they're basically trying to intimidate James. Yes. By yeah. howling yeah. And, and whooping Barking and animal sounds yeah. at him. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so they're in the cells. James is still very concerned about the people that Freddie just beat up, and they're in, they're in intensive care. And Hawk makes a there's, there's judgment in Hawk's voice there. Yeah. Um, anyway, they're, they're in. Chad says actually says something interesting. He looks at Freddie and says, "What did that gloved freak do now?" Oh, so Freddie right. is clearly a known element, mm, right? In town. Mm. Well, obviously well, Chuck didn't know enough to keep his big mouth shut. True. Mm. But as they sit on the bed, and yes, they see Nido sitting cross legged, and she's making, she's sitting on the bed and make, and make, gesturing. And to me, they seem like the same sort of gestures that she was making when she met Cooper in the mauve or the lavender uh, room. Oh, yep, yep. Um, and maybe that's just a coincidence, or a part of me was thinking, what if those things are happening in par- simultaneously? Yeah, yeah. Don't mm-hmm. know. Interesting. I don't know how that pans out. Yeah, if we, if we people po- were saying that you just we need someone to like do a full timeline, just a, a yep. visual representation of what bits happen where, and when we like fixed points that we know something's happening Definitely, at the same yes. time, yeah. so that we can draw and draw parallels. That okay, is it possible that what's happening in Twin Peaks has happened back here yep, yeah, simultaneously yeah. with with? Well, I might, I might, Vegas we or? might have a crack at doing that. Actually, I'm sure uh, someone else has done it on the internet already, but I might. Just, yeah, we must have a look. Yeah, yep. yep. Um, is it possible that Nido is Judy? Yes, it is possible. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess everything's possible. At this everything, stage, is yeah. possible. Yes. everything is possible. Everything um, is possible. I think someone has looked into what Nido uh, means without. In a, a, a Japanese dialect or something. Oh right, or, okay. Or, right, um, okay. So, 
Uh, yeah. Okay. Don't know what that um, is. I love the conversations that um, Chantel and Hutch have when they're in the car. Oh, they're like, so good, know, aren't they? They talk about Mormons. This time around, it feels like they've been listening to Jacoby because yeah. they talk about um, how they're just like they're just like cops. You know, they kill people and they get paid for it. Yeah, why don't we get paid? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just, just brilliant. Just brilliant. Uh, and they look up at the, um, they then just, you know, go to looking at stargazing and looking up at the sky. It's a beautiful night. And Chantal points at Mars and it's like nothing has happened. But for the fact that she says that she doesn't, she hasn't had a chance to torture someone for quite some time. Yeah. And there's no fun torturing dead people. And I'm like, oh, that's just yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Pulling fingernails. Like, <laughs> talk, talk, damn you! Ah, holding out, eh? Yeah. Oh, there is most important question of the entire episode. Mm. She asks Hutch whether he got a dessert. He does. She opens a bag. She smiles, but we don't know. I'm just saying. Cherry pie. Yeah, maybe, mm. maybe. It's yeah. not the biggest question of the episode. No, no, stop. <laughs> um, but I t- someone else is enjoying a bit of cake. Dougie and Janie. Yeah. Still eating cake like a toddler, as you would say. <laughs> Shoveling it in. Shoveling it in. Um, although I think this, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out and say it, I think this is the time where Cooper actually, real Cooper is about to kick in. Yeah. He, I hope so. He hits the remote and he manages to get the one shot out of, and I did not realise what this was until you told me, yep. uh, Sunset Boulevard, Billy Wilder film from the whenever it was. Apparently, there's a line in there, get Gordon Cole. There is. That's exactly right. Um, so Lynch must have, absolutely must have been referencing this, right? Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the original Twin Peaks, you've pointed out this before now, there's a lot of characters that have, mm. that, are, that are references to other things. So uh, Laura Palmer yep. was based on... Um, I can't remember anymore. Um, some some character from the fifties or oh really? A combination I didn't know. Yes, Laura. Yeah. I think just the name yes, Laura yeah. was from a yeah. There are, there's a few. There's a few. There's a few. But I even before that moment, um, uh, Gloria Swanson, who plays Norma Desmond in, in Sunset Boulevard, says we we're going to get the old team together again. And I and I just saw Dougie Coop's eyes just widen just a little bit. Yeah. And that's the first moment where I thought, oh, hang on. Yeah. Something's going to happen yep. here. Get Gordon He's coming Cole. closer. Yeah. But yeah, and then Doug, and Carl McLaughlin's face, and this is just brilliant, when he says, get Gordon Cole, and his eyes just seriously widen, it's like they've been propped open with matchsticks. And yeah. And he leans in forward and... Yeah. And then... Just before he goes and does the stupidest thing next to running with scissors. But... Is it is it the stupid no, thing, or is is that the conduit that brings him back? No, it's it's definitely it's definitely not the stupidest thing. So he, uh, yeah, I'm predicting, and, and it, the house goes into blackness um, afterwards. Yeah, I reckon that next episode lights come on, Cooper's back. Well, if we mm. see him in the next episode, we may not. Don't be like that. <laughs> <laughs> How many have we got left? What, three? Four? Three, but one of those is a double. So we've oh, got two man. viewings of that. Yeah, there's only yikes, two weeks. Yikes. Two weeks but there are some theories about this whole, and they, they definitely, there's a bit of support for what you said, Phil. Yeah. So, um, first one. If I'm, not now, when? Yeah. <laughs> there's a theory that I think is uh, probably not right, but is a fun little random one, and that is if you accept that he's that by zapping himself like that, that that brings back the Cooper, um, then that has happened in episode 15. 
And yeah. where we see... So where we see Cooper back is episode 15. Where we see Cooper arrive in the real world, but the wrong world. In, in the wrong brain is episode three. Yeah. And someone has theorised that in the Move room, like that was... Uh, he was supposed to come out in, in 15 through, yeah, through yeah. the 15 like the outlet represents what episode he's yeah he's supposed he, to actually supposed to go into yeah right he went I through actually, three rather than I actually three. think that's entirely plausible yeah yeah right. I do and also again it's another multiple of three yeah yeah, yeah. Um, as, as is and I know I said it in the last part as is 25140 Lancelot Court which mm. is where the, the Joneses live if you add all of those digits together you get 12 you add 1 and 2 together you get 3 mm. um Another theory that I'll, I've got to credit this one for the Reddit user because it's, I think it, it could well be spot on. Uh, a Reddit user by the name of uh, This, That, or That Other has pointed out that uh, this user rewatched episode three and said that when I was rewatching it, I've noticed that uh, there was a point where Cooper in the mobile room gets sort of zapped. Mm. There's a little sort of zap before yep, he. Yep. Uh, yeah, there was. Went, and they said that actually re-watching that from that point on when he gets zapped, uh, he has the, the look on his face stops being the Cooper yep. I'm knowing what's happening face and becomes the Dougie I've got no brain face. Yeah, right. And yeah. that his, the, so this user has theorised that that zap sort of almost removed his brain essentially, which is what is necessary for him to get through unscathed. Oh, so it's not just the shoes. It's not it's just... the brain as well. It's yeah, the brain right. as well. And, and that this zap... The mind and the doing, soul. ...is yeah. bringing back the, the, the brain that's <laughs> needed. Yes. Yes, the soul. Uh, ah. I'm going to credit Phil for that one. Uh. <laughs> um, we return to Twin Peaks mm-hmm. um, to a, another scene that made, made me ball for all for a different set of reasons, and this is... This is Mar- this is Margaret Lantern's last scene. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, we've kind of been speculating for the last little while, is this going to be Margaret's last scene? Is this going to be Margaret's last scene? But this is her ultimate mm. scene and, and what an absolute cracker. Mm. Still talking in riddles? Still talking about stuff that we well, just got no idea and well, understand? I, I'm gonna, the words of okay. my log is turning golden. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, if, if, it's a, if you'll indulge me, I might actually just read those, yeah. the Please whole do. thing very quickly. Hawk, I'm dying. You know about death, that it's just a change, not an end. Hawk, it's time. There's some fear, some fear in letting go. Remember what I told you. I can't say any more over the phone, but you know what I mean. From our talks when we were able to speak face to face. Watch for that one, the one I told you about, the one under the moon, on Blue Pine Mountain. Hawk, my log is turning gold. The wind is moaning. I'm dying. Good night, Hawk. Yeah. Mm. So who is the one? That- the one is Laura Palmer. She said Laura is the one. Laura is the one, yeah. yeah she right. did say Laura is the one. There is another... It's not a possibility. It's, I've made, it's probably going to be a red herring, but um, she talked about the one on Blue Pine Mountain. So Blue Pine Mountain is where Briggs's listening post was, so it's where Jack Rabbit's palace is, oh, which yeah. is where they felt shortly beyond that is where they found Nido. Oh, maybe Nido's okay. the one. Oh. So my, I had thought, I'd interpreted, so the one was Laura. Yep. Uh, but then watch for that thing. Did you say that thing or for the one? The under, one I told you the about, one t- the one under the moon on Blue Pine Mountain. So um, if you look, go back to Hawk's living map, 
Mm. Um, the mother symbol yep. is directly underneath the moon above Blue Pine, Blue Pine Mountain. Ah, I'd forgotten to look back at the map. But that's so, also, yeah. Which, so mother is the source of all evil. Yep. Well, she says watch for that one, yeah. so yeah. And something I, someone else also mentioned on online this week that if if Blue Pine Mountain and the, the all evil is underneath that, mm. underneath the moon there, and on the other mountain is this portal to the White Lodge where they found Nido. Yep. Then that those two uh, mountains represent good and evil. Yep. And if Twin Peaks is directly between those, yep. that's why it's the source of all of these. It's the place yeah, totally. in, in on planet Earth that is a balance. Totally. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's definitely supported by all the stuff that we've seen and so far, and all the stuff that we talked about. So, yeah. yeah. And look, and, but, and, but yes, done in such a beautiful way. Oh right? yeah, and look, I think it was really nice that with um, you know Hawk, Luke, uh, Andy, and Lucy, and and Frank, they sort of basically on behalf of the show said goodbye to mm. to Margaret, which is Catherine Coulson, obviously the actress who who did actually die shortly after. And there, there's a picture of her gravestone um, that someone posted, and so. Um, Catherine Coulson's Catherine Coulson's gravestone and there's a picture of a log on it oh wow just a a lovely little engraving of a log wow and in a nice touch this episode's dedicated to Margaret Lanterman yeah the character rather than yeah that was amazing so Audrey and Charlie what I was going to say WTF guys like what is going on talk about a shift in tone I mean we have talked about this with Lynch he's a master of doing this to be able to go from the the evil to tragic to comedic all you know within the space of a single show um, and here we've got this surrealist farce going on um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean like they said I think you think the way that it's been blocked and the the way the dialogue is delivered is very much like a um, Samuel Beckett two hander yeah yeah or yeah any of those Ooh. kind of uh, that weird plays where they people talk in non sequiturs and they don't say what they're really meaning and they mean something different and yeah Lynch and, himself goes from Tragedy to horror to fast. That's right. Um, just scene after scene after scene. Audrey can't even get out of the house over the course of four episodes. <laughs> yeah, she so gets a coat. Her coat is put on. That's the uh, yeah. The well, I mean, well, well exactly. A coat is on. A coat is off. Yeah. And, and you know, Charlie meanwhile has actually, even though he's it's late and he's so sleepy, mm. he's <laughs> managed to get his coat on. Sleepy like a toddler. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, the more that we see these two characters interact, and the, and the change in dynamic between the two, and this sort of, you know, I'm going to go, I don't want to go, I can't go. She's really stalling. She, yeah. You know, she, she, all this has been about going mm. to the roadhouse, but she's clearly she's stalling mm. for whatever reason. It's like being maybe this- maybe she's not even consciously stalling, but something within her, and it could be agoraphobia or, or whatever it is that other people speculate about. Something is stopping her from leaving that yeah right space yeah. I haven't dismissed from my mind, I have to admit, the idea that either he's her therapist or that there is that this is a dream because the the idea that she's going to the roadhouse but then she can't remember where it is yep. and just all of those, that failure to actually move on and failure to yeah. get anywhere is, is well, a we, feature of some people that are trapped in dreams or trapped yeah. in... Yeah, and we've talked about um, Charlie being a therapist yeah. as well. Yeah. The other thing is, I mean, Twin Peaks does have a history of like weird therapists that indulge their clients in weird things, like when yeah. Jacoby um, 
completely allowed Ben Horn to think he was a Confederate general <laughs> and had watched that play out. So this sort of role play as therapy. I was say, role play as therapy is not an unusual... Yeah. I mean, it's actually not... I know it sounds a bit weird and wacky and a little bit maybe crossing the line a little bit, but it's actually not the weirdest. I, mean, I know there are... Oh, why are you talking about in real... Uh, like in real life? Charlie oh, should I didn't get struck know off if he did marry uh, his patient. I don't think he has. <laughs> no, I think that yeah, she, I he might be playing the role I, of her that's husband. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, but um, <laughs> Clark Middleton, who plays... Charlie does, delivers an, a great line. It just made me laugh in all of this weirdness. Are you going to put your coat on, or are you going to talk to me, talk me to death right here on the threshold? And the way he just delivers it is just so deadpan. Mm-hmm. It, it's a real circuit breaker for this very confusing scene. Yeah, and she is also confused. So uh, we've seen Audrey a couple of parts ago where she didn't know who she was. She was she was having her own identity crisis. That's existentialism one oh one. Uh, and now she doesn't know who Charlie is. Who are you, Charlie? Like, mm. she, mm. she's really, really struggling to kind of get a grip on what's going on. And is that, mm. a, and that who are you, Charlie? Mm. The way you, you sort of led to believe that she's actually asking a question about who is as a person, but actually mm. she could literally be saying, who are you? Yeah, yeah who yeah. are you? Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so, and then, you know, the only way to, to resolve a situation like this is to go for the throat. Which she does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how this is sort of the mirror of the um, scene um, with Stephen and, and Becky, uh, which this one is, I guess, a little bit more played for laughs. Um, the other one was absolutely deadly serious. Yeah. Like, there's one person on top of the other one, just choking and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, just something you said a moment ago, uh, Nav, reminded me of another theory I saw online. Um, and shout out to the Reddit user Formica Tabletop. Uh, <laughs> Formica Tabletop drew uh, our attention to the line, are you going to put your coat on or talk to me to death right here on the threshold? On the because threshold. this user uh, recalled uh, Hawk in mm-hmm. the original series, mm-hmm. yep. the dweller on the threshold yeah. is the entity through which you pass mm-hmm. through the Black Lodge on your way to perfection. Yeah. Yep. So... Threshold perhaps being used very, very deliberately there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I look. I thought the same thing because it's because again, it's such a weird turn of phrase and a, such a weird mode of speaking is that there's got to be some code or some deep meaning to the stuff that they're saying. Yeah. 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 So we go to the roadhouse. Yeah, gonna be live music. And, and we actually are gonna have some live music. And tonight it's the Vales playing Axolotl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another of this sort of psychobilly country doom rock. I don't know what genre you'd call it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of strobe lighting. Yep. Yep. Um, a lot of heavy guitars. Um, and there's a girl there just enjoying her time, waiting moving. for friends. Well, she's quiet and small. She's quiet and she's small and she's very petite. But she and- didn't make a reservation for the booth. And I think that's. <laughs> Cause problems. <laughs> she had the little sign that she well, was she's li- clearly she's about to go off the reservation. Yeah. Um, so, but she's waiting for someone. But the two bikers clearly yes. <laughs> just pick her up and just drop her on the floor. Which I laugh. I shouldn't laugh. It's, it's dreadful. But just the way they did it. Yeah, was yeah. Quite, um, it was quite comic. But um, she is very upset about something. Possibly because she's been forced to be rescued from the <laughs> um, but ends up crawling on all fours through the crowd, not unlike the way that Dougie Coop was crawling on all fours towards the PowerPoint. Oh yeah, oh. or the way that um, Miriam was crawling through the through the bush. After. Yeah, she was a bit more sort of. Oh yeah, she wasn't on all fours. She was a more sort of 
crawling on her abdomen, really. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what have you but um, but as, as the song you know we sort of build to a climax the song intensifies the strobe lighting gets more and more um, erratic um, Shen Shi emits a blood curdling scream for, for no reason whatsoever and there's some who actually say that this they draw the parallels between Coop and Ruby walking crawling on all fours that moment where Coop puts the fork into the powerpoint yep coinciding with oh, right. Ruby mm. yeah. screams I could pay that. Wow. So, actually, they line up timing-wise? Are they, they timed that? Cause they that, haven't timed Because there's been a few it. times where we've talked about the, yeah. when Cooper's going through the Mauve Room mm. uh, and that the fact that that was, if you run those scenes simultaneously, the timing of Nido making the moves is the exact same yes. timing yeah. as Mother. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, yeah. So maybe... So I don't know the answer to that, but, yeah, but, it is in t- but just sort of on the basis of, of gut feel, but they, they feel pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yep. Very good. Is there any little secrets in the credits that we need to worry about? <laughs> oh, there was. Yes, a, oh, there, there is, is that one. Oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> so now, that ever since I know you guys are paying really close attention to it because I didn't see it. Um, in the same way that you guys picked up that weird glitch when um, Big Ed's yeah. sipping his soup, there's a no. It's not so much a glitch, but it's just a weird thing right at the very end of the credits. A little Easter egg right there. So we over the credits while the credits are rolling, mm. we get to see we're back in the place above the convenience store, however you want to call that. In the Dutchman's. Looks like the Dutchman's, yeah. It looks like a, that uh, apartment's from Theresa Banks. Um, and then the the shot changes right at the very end to a different shot. And who's lurking in the shadows? Boozami Woman. Boozami Woman. woman. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from me. Exactly. Oh, oh my God. When I saw that, I absolutely, I freaked yeah, out again, freaked out. more yeah. so than the, the time of before. Yeah, yeah. That was freaky as all shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely didn't have a Monica Bellucci dream that night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Well, on that cheery note, we should probably wrap things up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Damn Fine Commentary with Dave and Lynch. For the complete list of show notes and all the links, visit our website, daveandlynch.com. And if you like the show, there's two things you can do to really help us out. First, tell all your friends. And second, take a few seconds to rate us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps other people find us. Look, did we miss anything? Do you have a comment, a question or a suggestion? Drop us a line at daveandlynch at gmail.com or you can follow us on your social media of choice. We're at twitter.com slash daveandlynch, facebook.com slash daveandlynch, instagram.com slash daveandlynch. <laughs> yep, you get the picture. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening. <laughs>